0: Temporary was produced on the lands of the Bidjigal, Gadigal, Noongar, Warujuri and Karuna peoples whose sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and those who are yet to emerge. Australia's harsh asylum seeker policy has two clear objectives. To punish those who arrive by boat and to act as a deterrent for those considering coming to Australia by boat. With Operation Sovereign Borders, the Australian government launched an outright war on asylum seekers back in 2013, condemning those seeking safety to mandatory detention and temporary protection. And now, all these years after those policies were implemented, we need to ask, have they actually worked? For UNSW and Guardian Australia, I am Sesong Kim Simang, and this is Temporary.
1: So my name is Hani and I'm from Somalia. I came to Australia 2013 by boat, uh, which was a little bit horrible experience. But the one made me who I am today. So I wrote poetry and I started writing poetry while I was in detention.
0: This is Hani. She's a storyteller like me. She lives in Sydney and she's studying journalism.
1: When I was there, I used to also sending letters to the Prime Minister every morning before breakfast.
0: <laughs> Honey is on a temporary protection visa.
1: So yeah, before breakfast, like the offices they will knock my door and wake me up for breakfast, but I will just go to the internet to send him a letter. And I used to get automatic reply, but one day I just got a reply from the office and he was so excited, but at the end it just ended up in sad ending.
0: We chatted to Hani in a studio near her university in Sydney. I think, like, I kind of grew up in, like, a little bit complicated childhood.
2: Somalia, it's, it's a very beautiful country, like, a very good country to live if there was a peace of mind.
0: there. But the country has been in a civil war and such other wars for 30 years. Somalia was one of the first countries that I had ever heard of growing up in East Africa, where there was a failed state. So nothing functioned. Schools didn't function. Hospitals didn't function. It was a country that literally was plunged into conflict.
3: Somalia once again descended into chaos. It is unclear how many people were killed during that time, but estimates run in the tens of thousands.
0: And so by the time Hani is being brought up, not only is there a failed state, but there's also al-Shabaab. Al-Shabaab is this terrorist force that, very similar to the Taliban, they are an organization that does not believe in women's rights. And that works hard, in fact, to thwart girls' access to education, to freedom. So, like, growing up, like, we
2: just grow up with that normal, like, war going on and you just have to survive and do your thing until they come for you and then you have to go away.
0: It's very hard to walk around a city when al-Shabaab is in town. When you're a woman, you're not allowed,
2: actually. You're allowed by the government, but, like, the al-Shabaab won't let you, like, to go to school, because you're a woman, like, you're meant to do something else.
0: So her world is incredibly unstable. A lot of my friends were not there anymore
2: because of, like, you know, forced marriage, and people were coming for me. But also incredibly small. That I just thought the world was Saudi Arabia,
0: America, and Shamanic. So, she leaves her family and everything she has ever known. And she gets on a boat, bound for who knows where, knowing that this is her only chance of survival. I
2: wouldn't be able, I think, to deal with a lot of injustice with my big mouth. So I decided, you know, I told my parents, I was like, it's time for me to leave. Kind of didn't have other option, other than to just say, spring your wings and fly. Because there's no future here.
0: The water like levels were so crazy, like you know. The sea is heavy, there are storms, it is not a comfortable journey at all.
2: The night like you'll be sleeping, like and then the water will just go into your ear.
0: And they keep going and going and going. And and I was so cold, and everyone else was so cold. And two days pass and three days pass and four days pass. And soon, it's eight days. And my brain was kind of going, and a thousand thoughts, like, you know, what's going to happen? The boat breaks apart. It literally shatters.
2: It seems like a glass, like, thrown from a high mountain, like, when a glass break, the boat was like that. And there are people everywhere. We were all in the water. And I
0: was, like, holding on, like, little wooden, because I could, like, stream. And they're holding on to bits of wood, and many of them can't swim. And then the
2: Navy's people were throwing people life jackets, like, you know, and I'm, like, trying to figure out what to do with the life jacket. And the guy's like, wear it, like, you know. The relief is palpable. There was joy at the end, after eight days.
0: Hani finds herself in detention on Christmas Island and she sees this government messaging for the first time.
4: You should tell anyone else you know who seeks to follow you, that they should not do it, or they'll find themselves in a similar circumstance, or much, much worse. So I urge you to think carefully about your next decision and to not remain here and take the option to go back to the country from which you've originally come.
0: And it's here where she learns, no matter what, she will only ever be temporary.
4: There are new rules in place under this new government. So I urge you to think carefully about your next decision and to make a decision to get on with the rest of your life and to not remain here and take the option to go back to the country from which you've originally come.
0: But Hani has no option to, quote unquote, get on with her life and go back to the country where she's originally come from. So she stays on Christmas Island.
2: I think like at eleven o'clock they separated people, so it's like if you're a female, they take you to another camp, men, if children, like you know and everyone. And I think like that is actually the last time I saw all the people that I come with. And like for me, when I was in Christmas Island, stressing over like something bigger than me wasn't one of my options.
3: Australia's deterrent policies, temporary protection visas, offshore processing, boat turnbacks. These were designed to act as a warning to people who might find themselves trying to come to Australia to seek protection.
0: This is Ben Doherty. He reported on immigration at the time these policies were implemented for Guardian Australia.
3: The idea was to create this fortress to Australia, but also to get this message out and out across the world that people seeking asylum in this way would never be welcome in Australia. But for so many of the people who came to Australia, they knew nothing of this country, not even of its existence in some cases, let alone the intricacies of its immigration policy. They didn't know where they were going or what they might face when they got here. For them, it was about finding somewhere, anywhere, that was safe.
0: One of the worst things about Australia's stance for me is this idea that people's hardship is being leveraged to make it harder and harder for other asylum seekers, And I guess that I'm struck over and over again by how the word deterrent is weaponized
5: against all these people who just need help. It's in no way justifiable to subject the legacy caseload to detention, family separation, destitution, trauma, basically a life in limbo, simply to try to stop other people from seeking asylum here. Jane McAdam is the director of the Caldor Center for International Refugee Law. And it's especially unfair when the majority of people who have sought protection in Australia by boat have been recognised as refugees.
3: These people were punished essentially as an example to others who might follow. And that's hugely problematic. It is legal to seek asylum. And to punish one group of people who've done nothing wrong in order to deter another group is quite simply indefensible.
2: The problem is the uncertainty of a person to live in a piece of paper that can expire anytime. Like, that is your life. The uncertainty of a human being living in limbo is the worst.
3: As well, the idea that this deterrent would work when people are fleeing for their lives just doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Is Australia going to be worse than al-Shabaab? Worse than the Taliban? Worse than having your house bombed?
2: People make rules. Like, you know, like some to torture others, some for their own pleasures, some to like just simply say, like, we're protecting our
5: security, or, like, whatever. Everyone makes rules. If you're fleeing from violence or other harm, then Australia's deterrence policies are not going to stop you from trying to find the protection that you rightly deserve.
3: But people still need to seek asylum, and the government refuses to move. The new Australian government
4: will not be putting up with those sorts of arrivals. You should know that the government's will will not change on this issue.
3: So, I think we need to ask what really is the point of these policies? Is it about stopping boats, keeping people from drowning? Or is the motivation political? Is it about looking like you're taking a hard line on immigration, being seen to be tough, regardless of the human cost?
5: I think there are a lot of questions to ask if the government is essentially trying to make the conditions here worse than those that refugees have fled
3: either way people like Hani are caught in the middle
2: i didn't have any control of my life like i could breathe cuz i i could do that that was great but the rest was like you know they tell you where to be you be there like you become like a like a cow like you know they hate you to your
0: shade just so like every night most of the time like you live in a fear honey is a storyteller and a poet So she's not one to sit around and wait. She decides to start something new. Every time I meet my case manager, like the second
2: sentence of our chat would be like, I want to be a journalist. I want to be able to talk about things. And she's just like, you're going to be in big trouble in the future.
0: So she starts this newspaper, which she affectionately calls construction camp weekly. So every week I interview one person from the camp or one nurse
2: or one psycho officer. And then I print them, and I put, like, quotes. I just, like, make people smile. Put funny things. But
0: there was a serious side. The stories she wrote reflected the situation she was in.
2: Like, I pretended I went to Canberra to do this story. (laughs) I'm no troublemaker.
0: (laughs) I had, like, more audience than Sydney Morning Herald, I promise. (laughs) And on one of these days, she finds out about the Cambodia deal.
3: Cambodia has signed a deal with Australia to take refugees rejected by Canberra in exchange for money. The Cambodia deal is is a shock essentially. in 2014 the Australian government negotiates this deal with Cambodia in Southeast Asia. Nauru is tiny and ill-equipped to take refugees permanently. Australia's been looking to other countries. Cambodia eventually said yes. These people are still Australia's legal responsibility. Australia needs to find somewhere. For them to live canberra will give cambodia an additional 27 million euros worth of aid over four years cambodia is one of the few parties to the refugees convention in southeast asia and australia had promised that no one who arrived by boat would ever settle in australia so these people having come to australia been sent to Nauru, and be found to be refugees be legally owed protection it now says the accord will enable it to fulfill its policy whereby no one will be resettled in australia the entire deal was negotiated in secret, the United Nations said it was a, a disturbing precedent and basically the way it was looked at was a rich country foisting refugees onto a poor country and buying them off essentially. Human rights and aid groups have called the accord shameful, saying the Southeast Asian country is an impoverished nation with a terrible record on protecting
6: refugees.
2: And I started looking in Cambodia, and I'm like, you guys need to actually help Cambodia, because there's a lot of problem going on, like, you know, there's poor education, like, you know, way of living. I'm like, instead of dumping people there, why don't you just actually help the people if you can keen to help someone?
3: Cambodia is a country beset by corruption and by brutal governance, and it has no capacity to protect refugees. Yet Australia, a liberal democracy, ended up paying Cambodia $55 million to resettle a bare handful of people, about seven people, only two of whom ever stayed in the country. But still Australia kept looking for these deals, scouring the world through Central Asia, through the Americas, through Europe, looking for, for any place and willing to spend almost any amount of money to keep people from Australian shores.
0: The immigration officers, of course, accused Hani of printing propaganda. And they were like, you start writing propagandas. And I was like, yeah, it's not my
2: fault. You're the one who gave me the news. And then I just had to like go a little
0: bit further. Yeah, so... And then it was ended. And she's told she can no longer produce her paper.
2: Like, they told me, like, I couldn't write, like, anything that I wanted. So I kind of gave up on it. Even though, like, that in that time, it meant a lot to me. Like, I had a, something. I was working, like, you know.
0: They took from her the one thing that had kept her
2: spirits high. I had, like, people to interview. I was busy. And then they just, like... They take that away, and I was like, okay.
0: Australia's asylum policy has systematically stripped the rights from those seeking safety in this country. The government has taken away people's security and dignity, their liberty, and Hani feels this at a really personal level when they take away her newspaper, the one thing that was hers.
2: In Somalia, there was, like, you know physical stress like you know you're like oh like you know if I take that laneway maybe I get shot so like I do this like there was but over here there was a mental shot people were killing you mentally.
0: When you see how these policies affect someone like Honey, you have to wonder whether the money and the time and the stress is worth it and whether it's made any difference at all.
6: I find bizarre like to kind of continue to harm people knowing that we're harming people yeah, it's not an acceptable way to run a government.
3: This is Sean Hans He worked in the Home Affairs Department until 2018 as a decision-maker, essentially the bureaucrat who said yes or no to a claim for protection.
6: Temporary protection visas, are, it's probably the absolute worst policy that the Liberal government have in this space.
3: And even within the department, there's a, a reluctance to re-litigate and re-prosecute and re-argue all these cases that have been proven before and going over and over these cases that have already been decided in favour of protection.
6: Temporary protection visas are expensive. They ensure that we have issues that could be resolved by permanent protection kicking around in Australia for years. That means that people's um, mental health is severely negatively impacted and they've just never worked as a deterrent, which is what we're told that they're here to do.
3: And these cases get more complicated. Children are born, families are formed, processes change, governments change, and it requires an enormous amount of work to basically go back to the beginning all over again.
6: (laughs) Yeah, it's just quite silly, the entire thing, actually. When you think about it, it's just a whole waste of taxpayer money to torment people to not impact on the ultimate outcome in any meaningful way anyway.
0: I think what we see here is the politics of insularity and this choice to be mean-spirited when we don't have to. Australia is one of the safest, wealthiest countries in the world. And so it comes down to politics, the worst kind. I knew that one day it would be like, you know, my freedom will come
2: back. Things will be better, like, you know, but all this stress, like, when you focus on it, like, you know, we it, it kind of, like, take the meaning of existence out of you when you focus
0: on the negative part of, I think, the camp. So Hani is here now, in Sydney, studying journalism and teaching poetry to kids in school, despite just having finished school herself. She works two jobs, and she hasn't seen her family in years. After long journey, you know, I made it. And, you know, I'm still going.
2: I'm still, like, you know, the journey's not yet finished. I don't know when, but... In Somali, we say, It doesn't matter how many alleyways you go, you always come to the highway. I don't need anything, I just need a soil. I need somewhere that stable, that is no water.
0: — And despite this government, despite her temporary protection visa, She continues to tell her stories and read her poems, which will hopefully one day get a bigger audience than the Sydney Morning Herald.
1: So um, this poem, it's called, I Will Rise. I will rise. You now lock me in detention and damage my hope, but it's like a dust and one day I will rise. You may avoid my sadness and send me to Manus, but one day I will rise. You may hide the reality and break my heart, but one day I will rise. You may send me to somewhere else, why can't you help me? I may be a female of underage who need assistance from you. You may send me to other countries and shoot me with your words, but one day I will rise. You may punish me by saying lies, but one day, one day I will rise. You may kill me with your hateful actions, but it's like air and one day I will rise. You may never care about my awful past and enjoy with my tears, but one day I will rise. I may have a bad memory retained in pain, but one day I will rise. I may left fearful life full of horror, but one day I will rise. Does my mind upset you? So full of thoughts. I'm just a Salem seeker who seeks for freedom and doesn't have anywhere else to go. Does it come surprise to you, whatever you have done to me? I will forgive you. Whenever you send me a song, I say the sun rises and the moons come up. I will rise, I will rise, I will rise.
0: Temporary is hosted by me, Kim Msimang, and produced by Kara Jensen-McKinnon and Miles Herbert, with editorial support from Lauren Martin and Miles Martiglioni. Original music composed by Lama Zacharia, mixed and mastered by Ryan Pemberton, with series artwork by Matt Wynn. Temporary is a project from the UNSW Centre for Ideas and Caldor Centre for International Refugee Law, co-produced with Guardian Australia and inspired by the book Refugee Rights and Policy Wrongs by Jane McAdam and Fiona Chong. The podcast is accompanied by a digital storytelling project, which further explores the lives of the people interviewed in this series and is linked in the show notes. If this story has raised any issues for you, please know that help is available. Contact Lifeline on 131114.